P-S-N-Y. Welcome to the Clean Sweep Podcast, Elite Sports New York's Brooklyn Nets Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Small, alongside my co-host, Nolan Jensen, and we have a special guest today. You might know him on Twitter as Netstradamus, but we have our good friend, Evan DeCruz, here. Evan, how are we doing today? Doing excellent. How are you guys today? Hanging in there, hanging in there. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quickly... Yeah, I'm, I'm going to quickly just pass it over because I know Nolan has a few uh, a few burning questions that he wants to talk about. And, you know, a couple of these are actually specifically why we got Evan on here because we think he can provide some valuable insight. So, Nolan, why don't you take us away because I think uh, I, I know your first question is going to be a good one. Yeah, I'll put uh, Evan on the hot seat right away. Not even a minute into the episode, just hit him with the oh. hard-hitting questions. Would you, would you have it any other way? All right, so straight out the gate, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Boston game and how absolutely incredible that game was. But unfortunately, that game was followed up by a performance that was on the polar opposite side of the spectrum at home against Memphis. So my first question for you, Evan, straight out the gate, is that loss to the Memphis Grizzlies where they lost by 39, shot horrifically from three, let Memphis get hot and didn't really didn't make any adjustments in the second half to deter them. Was that loss at all, in your opinion, reflective of this season's shortcomings? Uh, if, you, if you look at the final score, it, uh, I don't know. Cause it, it's weird. It was like this, what was it, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the second worst home loss victory in Brooklyn franchise history. Am I correct on that, guys? I don't know off the top of my head, I but know, I... but it sounds like it... Yeah, I, I can't. Make sense. I can't imagine there were much worse losses than than uh, you know whatever it was Wednesday yeah. night. Yeah. In, in, that, in that vein, uh, I don't want to say it's characteristic of the season's losses because I mean, it, it, it was truly disappointing to lose by that amount at home. But um, typically, most of the Brooklyn Nets like really heartbreaking losses were close games. I mean, the team is competitive. You know, most like I think other than there was another game mm-hmm. at home that they lost to Indiana. It was like something similar to this. Not the, the margin of loss wasn't really, that really, wasn't yeah. as much, but it was still just like wow, we really lost that much to Indiana, and they don't play with pace. That doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. So this game was kind of more like that to me, reflective of this season. Uh, in terms of disappointment, yes, but in terms of margin of victory, no. I mean, I expected the, the Nets to, to play it on, like, close, what are we, with my 39? I, yeah, I didn't expect a 39-point loss. I, didn't, I, I don't know. I didn't know what to expect. I, I thought maybe the game would be closer. Um, I wasn't expecting them to win, necessarily. I mean, I think we've learned as Brooklyn Nets fans, like, any game we can win or lose. It's like, it's like that's just pretty much how it's gone. Right. So, um, I wouldn't say it's reflective of the entire season. I thought this loss was more of, you know, having to play five games in eight nights. You had the overtime game the night mm-hmm. before, and then they had that two-hour intense practice, I think, came on Monday. So if you look at all that and then, like, the rosters that are run out there with, you know, the older players, I, I think that it was kind of like you could see a blowout loss, you know, like, you know, just being tired from that. 
you could see that like kind of like yeah. maybe happening. But the fact that it was at home and by such a like large margin uh, didn't really surprise me. But I, I wouldn't say it's reflective of the whole season. So then uh, I'll, I'll just toss it back to you from there. I think fatigue is something that fans never really want to hear. But I think it is legitimate in the case of what happened last night that they might have had sore legs. I know that you personally were not a fan of the intense practice they had. Oh, not at all. Not ago, at all. A couple nights ago. Especially with what you said, we have a lot of you know older veterans that have a lot of miles on their body. So that does make sense from that standpoint. What? What? How? I know you had a strong opinion on the uh, intense practice. Do you think that translated over to what we saw? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I've coached basketball, obviously not at the NBA level, but I've coached at every single level other than D1 and the NBA. And I can just tell you this, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're coaching pros or kids. You have to take a pulse of your team. You know, like if your team is coming off, um, like if you're playing like five games at eight nights and, you know, you, you, you come out and, you know, I think Kenny Atkinson said publicly, you know, the, the team's recent struggles were based on a lack of focus, okay? So if you if you say that to the, to the media, right, the lack of focus, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean you start running a two-hour intense physical practice. It means that if you have a lack of focus, it means the guys are not making the right decisions. So what I would have done was had an extended film session and um, an intense walkthrough. Now, I don't know because I'm not like a part of the Nets coaching staff. I don't know what he meant by intense practice, but what I got out of it was that he ran them hard, they were running hard plays at like full speed, that's all I could glean from the outside looking in, okay? But what I would have done is I would have said, okay, we're at game 59 of the season. My team has suffered tremendous losses that were disappointing, that were close games that we should have won. Like, I mean, all right, I'll pause and just say to Nolan before I get back into what my thought was, you know, the Nets have really coughed up a lot of games this year. Like, they could easily have eight or ten more wins, correct? Or is that me going too far? For sure. I think that's, sure. Fair. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair. fair. That's fair. That's fair. They've lost a lot. Eight to ten? Maybe further? Like, I don't know. Like, how far do we want to go? Twelve, maybe? Uh, I mean, it's it's hard. I don't like. I I'd have to like kind of like go through the schedule. But I think I think eight to ten. That's probably like a, a pretty fair number. It might be a little more. Might be a little less. I, okay. Probably probably you, probably not less. If you, but, those, if you add those wins up, you're looking they, at yeah, thirty five win team, and mm-hmm. now you're looking at they're right in the thick of things. You know. So mm-hmm. at game fifty nine, right? You you think your team has a, has a lack of focus. Why do you try to run them into the ground and like you know beat them up and and say? Oh, you know, it's almost like a form of punishment. I mean, that may be a little bit too far, but it's like the team's tired. You know, like Joe Harris played in the FIBA games in the summer. There was all this talk about him having fatigue. He's like your team's best three-point shooter. You run a three-point analytic system. You know, you know, Joe Harris, does he have a lack of focus? Like, no, like he's pretty much good to go. Like, you know, he's been the most consistent net, you know? Like, what was the lack of focus? Like, what He didn't even specify, like, what he meant by that. So he runs this two-hour intense practice on Monday. We played back-to-backs on, um, what was it, Saturday and Sunday, right? We played Atlanta, mm-hmm. then we played Miami. Miami was an exhausting game. We made a tremendous comeback to full short. And so then you give them the day off Sunday, and Monday you run an intense practice, and then the next day you have to fly to Boston, which is always a tough game. I know Tatum didn't play, but that's a tough game. And, you know, you could, I mean, it was a tremendous game. One of my, like, probably the best game of the season to watch, but mm-hmm. if you all the things that transpired in that Boston game, like Levert dropping 51, the amount of points we scored in the fourth quarter, the things that had to go right to win that game. And then, like, if you look at all the starters that were benched down the line, 
there was a reason why the starters were benched down the line, and it was because they didn't play well. And I, I would postulate that they didn't play well because of that intense practice in between all those games. And these guys have been playing tremendous minutes. So the Boston game, we were lucky to win. And I mean, like, we were down, what, 19 in the fourth, 21 late in the third? And then it took all these things, like a, a ridiculous yeah. jump ball call to go our way. We had to get a foul at the end of regulation, and then we needed to avert to, like, sink three threes, and then him to go off in the fourth just to win that game. And then you have to travel back to Brooklyn to play Memphis, who was on one day's rest, okay? So if you look at the outcome of the game for Memphis, it's not really that surprising they got blown out by that much. The team was just dead tired. I mean, look at the, look at the quarter scores, 23 in the first, 22 in the second, 20 in the third. They only scored 14 in the fourth quarter. That was just a tired team to me. That wasn't, to yeah. me, an analytics problem. That was just a team that didn't have legs, maybe a team that felt uh, psyched out, and a team that got beat up a little bit. Like, that game was physical. Memphis was physical in that game, you know? Yeah. Danny, what do you think? Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think Evan is kind of hitting the nail on the head with this. Like, kind of this at this stage in the season, guys are tired. You know, especially like we've you know we've all said there's there's older guys with some miles on this Nets team, um, and you know I'm I'm just kind of thinking of it from like a macro NBA perspective. March is kind of like the the month where the weirdest shit happens. You know, like the kind of the you know, the, I mean, the Knicks beat the Rockets the other day. Like that's the my the best example I can give. Like. <laughs> Teams will just not show up on certain days for, you know, for whatever reason. And, you know, maybe maybe it wasn't that they were tired. But right now, that's all we have to go by. That's kind of, you know, that, that's the only – that yeah, but that, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm saying. You know, like, sure, it could be any number of reasons. But right now, like, that's – the the ti- the tired legs you know that intense practice that's all we have to go by like that's kind of that's the only conclusion I think you can draw from that you know that loss and they to be honest I mean Evan you touched on this but they were so lucky to win that Boston game I mean if they don't win that game we could be right. you know sitting here and you know really singing a different tune about kind of you know Kenny coaching and all this stuff because you know well, I mean I mean I mean you look at any game right it doesn't mm-hmm. matter who you're a fan of if you're down 19 in the fourth quarter that's not a good sign mm-hmm. you know what i mean it does not like most teams don't come back from that like it doesn't matter how well you shoot the three that took a tremendous amount of effort like a little like i, I don't know a little i'd say a, a modicum of luck and it's just like a historic performance like literally it mm-hmm. was a historic performance it was like with the greatest net one of the greatest nets mm-hmm. comeback in history so i mean you know you could argue that that shouldn't have won any of those games and then then you're looking at like Oh man, it's tough, man. I mean, I'm not really, I'm not really trying to crap on my own team here, but like in the start of that fourth quarter in the Celtics game, I didn't think they had a chance to win that game. I mean, look at all the players that went down. No. Hayward went down in that game. Smart fouled out. Tatum was out. Um, you know, someone else got hurt in that game too. You know, I forgot who. I forget who on the Boston. Yeah, they, they were they were like they were down. They had to play Semi Ojale, who hadn't played all game. You know, <laughs> I mean, like on. in the fourth or in the overtime. Right for us just to pull that game. Out in overtime, you know. Yeah, which that was a big surprise. I mean, like, to me, like, it was crazy. Like, people on Twitter were just like, you know, Kenny doesn't get any credit, and I'm like, yeah, but you, you want to give him credit for a game where like everything had to go right in order for us to pull out a historic win. You could hardly call that like a tactical genius strategy. A tactical genius strategy well, would have won that game by Evan, twenty. Sorry to cut you off, but no to be fair, 
You come home and you're ready for he, the Grizzlies. That's stayed. not what happened in that game, right? He stayed with what was working. He stayed with what spurred the run, which is Chris Gioza. I'll give him credit was, for that, but that know, doesn't take a genius there, to do. That just takes a guy with open eyes watching a game. Right? I know, but it could have been an easy I mean, decision. You could do it right now, no? back game, Especially with his all-star caliber season that he had basically up until, what, the third week of December. So it, 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 he, he did have to make a decision to stick with the hard hand, which was, again, Chris Gioza. A guy that played yeah, what, like six my games thing is, why, why, why should a coach get so much credit for sticking with a hot hand? That's like a basic thing. It's like a tenet of sports. It's like if a guy's hot, well, it's because he hasn't like, You know what I mean? Like, why are we yeah. praising a coach for something that's like so obvious to like even like a fan that doesn't pay attention to analytics or anything? Like, a casual fan will say, you know, ride the hot hand. It's like you can see it on your television screen. You don't have to be a genius to figure that out. So I'll give him credit well, for that, but like, we're talking about amounts of credit now. Like, what? Like, do, do you really credit Kenny Atkinson for that Boston game? Like That was just basically Herculean effort from Levert and a lot of luck, and he stuck with Chioza. Like that is that what we're giving him credit for? Fine. You want to give him credit for that? Fine. But it's not, it's not a ton of credit. Really. Well, no, no, I'm, not, I'm not saying that Kenny Atkinson was the reason why he, the Brooklyn Nets won that yeah, game. We know that Kenny Atkinson wasn't the saying. reason why the Brooklyn Nets won that game. That was Karis LeVert going absolute scorched earth. That was Chris Gioza stepping up and playing, you know, really a great, what was it, 21 to 25 minutes where he was plus 29. He was knocking down threes. He was playmaking. And I also want to talk about, because this is your guy, Chris Gioza, his last two games, he's played, you know, pretty damn fine basketball. Moving forward, do you want to see him for the next, what was it, what would it be, 22 games? I don't see any reason why he shouldn't be playing 15 to 20 minutes a night. Oh, I agree with you 100%. I think that the Nets have a decision to make on him. You know, there's a, he's, a, he's on a two-way contract right now. There's five days left until we lose Nawab's disabled player exemption, which would be enough salary to bring Kyoza on for the remainder of the season as the primary backup point guard to Dinwiddie, who looks either sick or exhausted. Because he, in that Memphis game, he was not in it at all. Like, that was his, probably his worst game of the season. So... Yeah, to me, I agree with you, Nolan. Um, Chioza, you know, people, like, if you read, like, the advanced scouting report on Chioza, like, literally, like, the, or if you watch, like, his, like, Geely highlights, the only negative things that you'll find about his game is they'll say he's undersized in his position, but he does everything else well or good. So there's really, like, that's a good scouting report, right? Like, you know, you're not, it doesn't say anything about him being really bad at anything. It just says he might be a little bit undersized to play in the NBA. Right? Yeah, I think... But if you look, if you, if yeah. you look historically at players, like there's players like J.J. Barea. I like to call them the mouse in the house. Like That's the way I dub these players. They can be tremendously effective because they're hard to stay in front of. You know, in this modern NBA, like everything's a foul. Like If you drive past the guy, they, you sneeze on him. You're, it's a foul. And she owes his ability to just, you know, collapse the pain, kick it out. Like, he doesn't really turn the ball over much. I know, in, you know, in the Memphis game, his first possession was the turnover. But after that, when he settled in, he was he was a spark plug, you know, like, for a team that just couldn't get the engine going. But he was definitely a spark plug in the Boston game. And I felt like a month ago he could have been a spark plug for games in between. So, you know, I'm not saying he's great. I'm not saying he's, like, an all-star. I'm not ready to say he's the next Fred Van Fleet. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying that... He's a capable backup point guard that the Nets desperately need right now. And, you know, like if they want to maintain, you know, being in a seventh seed or they want to win games, it makes sense to make him the primary backup. If they want to tank, then 
forget it. But that, that's a different argument. It depends on if you're talking about winning games or not. Yeah, I think for me, I've been like I'm a I'm a Florida Gators fan, so I I I watched Chios a lot in college. I like I loved him. Wasn't sure quite you know how he would do when he gets to the NBA because like you said, the one thing you know he's very very undersized. But as a backup point guard, I think I thought the JJ Barea comparison you brought up was pretty apt. As you know, like a point guard like that, he's still super super useful. I mean, he's not going to get you know destroyed in mismatches because. Like he as a backup, you know, you're, he's not going to be, you know, in the the fourth quarter every game or anything like that. Just getting, you know, posted up or anything like that. And he brings such energy. It no. just it changes everything. Yeah, it changes everything. His energy. Would you agree that he might be one of like the top twenty fastest players in the NBA right now? Like I could, end to end, if you just like let him run. I could see that. Yeah, I mean he. He's going to forty. Yeah, I don't know if uh, I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, actually, I sent the clip to Nolan the other day, but uh, but at Florida when they you know they were in I think it was the Elite Eight or Sweet Sixteen I forget they're playing Wisconsin. There was like three seconds left on the clock. Got the ball like went end to end and just launched up a, like a floater three buzzer beater. You know Florida wins. He can get from point A to point B in a in like in a blink. And, and you know what? I'll just add to that. Let's right. so let's forget about his physical attributes. Let's talk about something I like to talk about, which is like a high basketball IQ. Mm-hmm. And I think Chioza exhibits that. Like you could see it in the games. Like he actually get, he doesn't play in the regular Nets rotation, but you could see him getting frustrated with things. Like DeAndre, like somebody, I'll, I'll give you like an example, like DeAndre Jordan or Kuroots. Somebody will grab a rebound, right? And he'll call for the ball, and like they'll bring the ball up instead, or like Levert. And he wants the ball. He's like, what are you doing? He's like, you're going to go make me play off ball? He's like, I'm the point guard. Give me the ball. Get into your off position, you know, wing, wings extended, and let's run the offense. But the Nets don't do that because I don't know if that's by design. I don't know if that's Kenny Atkinson saying, whoever gets the rebound, you have good enough ball handling skills to bring it up. But in my mind, it's like if you, bring up, if you grab a rebound and Shields is right there and there's nobody around, give him the ball, run down the court, get into position, and he will facilitate the offense appropriately. That's my stance on him. I don't know. And you can see, the, like, the way he motions. Like, he'll, he'll get the ball, and he's, like, telling people to go to certain... He's, like, a, a true facilitator, and we haven't seen that at all. Like, we didn't even see that out of Kyrie when Kyrie was healthy, and I'm not trying to bash Kyrie. I'm just talking about a guy that, like, literally is a true point guard. I see that in Chioza, and I like it, and I want to see more. And I think we have... The, the roster spot for him. I don't think Pinson has a place on this roster. There's a roster spot for him, and there's no. a salary for him. There's no reason not to do it, in my opinion. And you guys can jump in. No, I you, I agree with both of you guys' stances here with Chris Chioza. I mean, what I noticed the last two games is he's absolutely remarkable at finding players in stride. I mean, the offhand pass, he can throw bullets. I mean, he can get you in rhythm. He can get you in your spots. He's good in transition. He's... I mean, not just lightning quick, but his ability to switch directions on a dime is really unparalleled on the court. He is, he's, he's, got, he's got a lot of talent, and even though he's 5'11", what is he, like a buck 85 or whatever, whatever he is, his you know, natural skill sets can compensate for such. But, but you know, that, I also that, want to talk about Nick Claxton. being small, too, because have you seen the way he fights through screens? He's super quick at getting through screens. Like, he really is. He may not be able to like, get, no, he's, out, he's get a, a hand up and shoot his face, but he's in close space and, like, be smart enough not to foul. Like, I think, like, you know, yeah, you, are, what are you worried about now? Like, 
other point guards posting him up. Like, we don't see that much in the NBA anymore. So I'm not so worried about him being a defensive liability with his size. I'm not. I'm more I'm more excited about He's been out of position a few times, but I'm not really worried about that. Ride, which fits right in with what Atkinson wants to do. Yeah, and like like I want like I'll, the point I want to make is I think at this point in the season we really need to make some drastic rotation adjustments adjustments sorry and with Chris Chioza he's been absolute spark plug and how we've seen how that works Nick Claxton is absolutely hoping out in Long Island you know he's got really no shortage of skill as a player his size I mean I don't know if you guys saw him take the ball coast to coast. Um, yesterday in the mm-hmm. G League, and then he's knocking down threes, and he's he can play make. He can do so many things that we need at his size. So I want to see him getting minutes, and I'm not really sure why he was banished off from the rotation. I mean, in the end of January, he had a string of like four or five performances in a row where he was really good, and then he went against Andre Drummond before Andre Drummond got traded to the Cavs against the Pistons and really fared his own against one of the most you know physical post presences in the NBA. He's skinny, strong. He's got good instincts. He's switchable. He can do a lot of things on the offensive end. We bring in Chris Chioza, and we've seen that he's a spark plug. Now I want to see Nick Claxton get run, and I'm not really sure why that hasn't happened yet. And moving forward, the next 22 games, if he doesn't get significant run, then that's, I believe, a problem. Yeah. And you know, and you know what's funny is Chioza plays in the G League a lot. Him and Claxton have chemistry already. So if they were in the second unit together. So say Kenny's like not ready to start Claxton, which you know I wouldn't argue. Maybe... You know, he's not ready to start. I would do it. Like, if I was the coach, at this point, I would do it. Like, me, I'm like like a risk taker. I would do it. Like, like, from what I've seen out of Prince, it's, like, so annoying. Like, I'm just, like, you know, Torian Prince just annoys me, like, to, like, no end. Like, I think I tweeted yesterday, I'm at my wit's end with him, you know? Like, he'll hit a few shots, and you're like, oh, maybe he'll have a good game. And then he misses, like, seven in a row. And it's so frustrating about, like, you know, he's a defensive liability, too. It's just, I would start Claxton, but let's say you don't want to start Claxton. You bring him off the bench with Chioza, they have chemistry. There you have have 40% of your second unit is, like, already set. And it takes away so many other problems, you know? And that's just to, like... You know, capitalize on what Nolan was saying about how you know Claxton should be in there. So that, that, that that's like another reason for just synergy off the bench. Yeah, no. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I'm, I'm I'm looking at looking at second unit stats and things like that. But um, but yeah, no. <laughs> I, I was just thinking of the uh, the Torian Prince stuff. Yeah, like I know Kenny likes to have a guy who can shoot threes. You know, out there to play the four and stuff. But I mean, Torian Prince. I think Nolan, you kind of you hit the nail on the head with him in your article from today. Oh, it was a great um, article. He's just great oh article. my god. He's and I like I'm not a Nets fan per se. Like so, I don't I don't live and die with the team quite like you guys do. But Jesus Christ, I mean, he is so frustrating to watch. <laughs> I mean. It's, You're an expert, correct, Danny? Uh, I, I'm not. I, I wouldn't call myself a fan of either team. I'm, I'm kind of like a. <laughs> You're at that point. Yeah, I'm. I'm a. I'm. I'm like an observer. You know, I. I now that I, I cover the Knicks, I'm too close. I'm too close to the. Uh, to the fire. I, I. I try and stay. Stay fair and balanced. Just emotionally detached. Yeah. Yeah. I just. I. 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 I enjoy covering them, even though it's a. It's an absolute circus over there. Prince is on the Knicks. He'd be frustrating you instead of us. That's where I'm at with him already. Nah, he's got Julius Randle. Yeah, I was going to say, if Nolan wants to trade Julius Randle for Torian Prince, uh, I'd do that probably. I don't know. What are they, $5 million apart in salary? Yeah, I think, well, when when Prince's kicker, his 
uh, what you call extension extension kicks in next year. They'll be they'll be close. Uh, yeah. But uh, it wouldn't work though because Atkinson wouldn't do it because of Julius Randle's three points. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He doesn't shoot. He doesn't oh, shoot the three well. I wouldn't do it either, Evan. But I would do it. I'm just kidding on that. I wouldn't do it immediately. If I could do a one for one, I would do that. See, this, I would, I would this, do this, this, this is where oh, everybody's no. at now. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, uh, hope I, mean, I don't mean to sound mean. Like, I try to be point. nice to Tori in person. Like, I, like, I tell him, I try to be encouraging to him on Twitter. It's just, it's like impossible. I just don't know what's wrong with him. Like, I think it's just like a, a basketball IQ issue. I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what's wrong. He's, with him. he's, he's active on Twitter. I think, right? Like, I've seen he's, he like likes he negative active. tweets about him and stuff like that. Yeah, he tweeted something a few months ago. Like, I love to the hate with like a dark heart emoji mm-hmm. and yeah. like I responded to him I don't know if he checks it or if it's just his PR people and I was just telling him like listen man nobody hates you personally they just want to see you do better mm-hmm. and then like you know he doesn't respond to me obviously because I'm a nobody but you know mm-hmm. if, if you read that it's just basketball you know it's sports entertainment you can't you know even as like athletes you have to be able to compartmentalize and you know everyone you know takes it seriously but at the same mm-hmm. time it's like nobody hates him like nobody knows him we, we, mm-hmm. what do we know like nobody's wishing ill upon Tory and Prince we just want him to play to like what Nolan wrote in his article Nolan wrote good things about him too he said I believe in him I think he can be better and I do too like I think he'd be, I think with the right like development team and the right coaching like you sit him down in a film with the, with the right film people and you drill him properly I do believe he could be a lot better I just don't know what's going on with him. I don't. I don't want to indict anybody. Like I, I feel bad. Like I don't want to insult Prince personally. I don't want to indict the Nets development staff. I'm just trying to figure it out. It's like a Rubik's cube. What is wrong with Tori and Prince? You know. And they just invested. You know. I mean, I, I I alluded to it before, but like they just invested in him with that contract extension. Which now it's like after this season. It, they, you know, maybe they thought they were going to get a bargain on him, and you know, oh, we'll get him before he has a great year. But that that looks like that backfired in, in a significant way, at least. Well, by all accounts, Torian Prince sounds like he's a good dude. From what I've heard, and, and like Evan said, nobody hates him. We all want to see him do well. I think the misconception with like articles, which you guys were talking about, was one I, I wrote today, is that I somehow want to see him fail, which is not the case whatsoever. Uh, we all want to see Torian Prince do well. We all want to see him thrive within this, you know, system. But thus far, all we can do is judge off what we've seen this season, and what really isn't good whatsoever. I mean, he's been in a slump since December. I mean, it's just almost three and a half months of him shooting the ball at a twenty-eight yeah, percent clip. Yeah, you know, he's thirty-three percent on catches and triples. It's like in the Memphis game, like he was so bad. Like he was, what was he? Well, it looked like he was good because he was like the, the team's leading scorer with 15 points, but he was 6 of 19 from the floor. Yeah, 6 of 19. And he was 2 of 8 from 3, and he was just launching and launching and launching. And I'm just like, oh man, if they get at the point right now when he launches, I'm just like, it's not going in, it's not going in. It doesn't go in. It's just frustrating, you know? And, there's, and he's and, so turnover prone. He doesn't fight through screens well. He commits silly fouls. He's just a weird player. And uh, obviously, you know, NBA players, you get to that point, you know, you, you have that mentality, like, shooters got to shoot, I'm a shooter, I got to shoot through it. But, yeah, exactly. Exactly, that's, yeah, that's my point, like, we're, we're talking about... I, mean, like, I played a lot of basketball in my life, if I had, like, two or three bad games, the fourth game, okay, yeah, then you get to, like, 10 games, 20, 30 games, if I'm in a 30, yeah. 40 game shooting slump, I'm going to be like, alright, I really need to reevaluate how I'm playing, I might tell the coach, hey, pull me. Put me in the G League so I can find my stroke again. I don't want to embarrass myself anymore. But he has no conscience. Uh, yeah, maybe I'll I'll look I'll look to I facilitate a little more or what. So yeah, no, it's 
Shooter's got a shooter. I got a I guess. hot take. Go for it. <laughs> shooter's got a shooter. I think, honest to God, I think Joe Harris has more versatility in his offensive bag than Torian Prince does. I mean, Torian Prince, like we can all say, the, the three point shot isn't falling, but really, he has no other avenues of offense in which he can venture. I mean, he's really bad in the pick and roll as the ball handler or as the roll man. He only cuts. 0.2 times per contest. Yeah, he's really, he's, he's not, not going to get the ball off the catch and beat someone off the dribble and take it through a crowd of bigs. And he's not... What we've seen when he pulls up a midi or when he takes it into the post and does that classic signature fadeaway off glass, like, it's really the never Euro, resulted the in, Euro, like every in the next favor. You're like, oh, he's great! And then, like, yeah, and or, then, or, or the classic Euro. Shit-punched. Yeah, I, I, I hate to say it, but really, right now he's a one-trick pony on offense. He really is, and that's not, and that a, it's not a very good trick. trick. <laughs> <laughs> he's a lame one-trick pony. That's even worse. So frustrating, man. It really is. Yeah, I think I don't think that's a hot take, Nolan. That that Joe Harris has more in his bag because Harris. I mean, obviously, it's all his whole game is set up by the fact that he's just a, you know no, a, a great you, shooter. You know what? I'll even go with Harris. Is just like a Player. Like, even much better like cutting. You can see Harris when they take away like his three point shot, he will wiggle into the paint and get that reverse layup because mm-hmm. he knows to use the rim to shield against mm-hmm. the bigger guy. Whereas Torian Prince will go in and just like get knocked to the ground or have the ball just stripped from him. He's just like Harris knows how to play basketball. He may not be the most athletic guy, but he knows how to like get the most out of whatever athleticism he has. And he's very smart. Whereas Torian Prince doesn't have that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Harris, like when teams are like they're top locking him, like he he'll he'll throw in a backdoor cut now and then, like like different yeah, things like yeah, that. Absolutely. You don't see you don't see that out of Torian Prince so much. No, no, not at all. He not doesn't move well without the ball. Quickly. He's not really good off screens. He doesn't even set good screens. He's kind of skinny. He doesn't really set solid screens. He's just like like the turnovers too. I'm just like, like they're unconscionable. Like you know, like he'll get a rebound and I'm like, no, don't dribble it across. And like the minute he gets across half court someone from behind pokes it away and I'm like mm-hmm. slapping my forehead I'm like what are you doing man just find the point guard and get to your spots that's what you're there for you know but like, let's not turn this into a whole Torian Prince yeah, yeah. We, we probably should should move on because I think because it's like I think <laughs> I think all of next Twitter has moved on I like him he's a good like guy a Torian Prince hate account out there right now you know it's crazy okay let's go let's actually you know why this isn't exactly the most positive you know segment we're about to segue into here because um, there's another player I have moderate. I really want to say moderate concerns about because all the advanced metrics or analytics say he's one of the best young defensive anchors in the NBA. But, you know, he's frequently getting benched for DeAndre Jordan in crunch time. He's had 8.8 points per game last month. He has 7.0 points per game this month. And though you can't, you know, fully encompasses game through his point average. He's, he does a lot of things well in the basketball court. Is there any concerns now and moving forward about Jared Allen? For me, that's questions for me. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 you can take okay. away. I, I, I wrote an article on nothing but nets about what I wanted to see 
out of like the core players. And this was like way before the, the clean sweep even happened, before we even got the stars. So the article focused mostly with like Joe Harris, Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, Rodion's Karuts, etc. So with Jared Allen, and I think me, me and Nolan were on a, another pod like a week ago, and we talked about it, and Nolan was the one who actually brought it up, where he said he would like to see Jared Allen develop um, a pick and fade, you know, or a pick and pop, which is like, you know, where you set the screen, you get to about 15, 14 feet from the basket, and then you, you know, you're ready, your hands are ready, right. you can catch, you can shoot. And I, you know, said that, you know, the problem, you know, the problem is like that. Kenny, well, I think the host said at the time that Kenny Atkinson would never allow that because Kenny Atkinson kind of wants you to either get a dunk or a three. Um, that, I don't think that's unfair to say. Like he wants like high percentage twos and high percentage threes. So, you know, but I didn't look at it like that. Like I, when I was looking at his development, I just was like, all right, what's best for Jared? You know, what's best to make him a better player? Like, and it's like if you want to just turn him into a system center, you know, he is going to be what he is now. You know, kind of like a rim running big who's there to protect the paint, who really can't create his own shot. But, you know, I, I, I and no one said it before, he's still a baby. I mean, he's 21. I mean, I didn't really even perfect my shooting form until I was like 23 or 24. So I'm willing to be patient with Jared Allen. I'm not going to indict him. I'll agree that, like, you know, it's a little frustrating to see because, you know, that he did gain a little bit of weight this offseason, and he's been, like, he's shown games where he's been more aggressive, but, like, He's pretty easy to game plan for. I'll agree with Nolan on that. Like, you know, you clog the paint a little bit, you put one big body on him like a Valanchunas, and it's like you can negate him. And that's not what I wanted to see out of Jared Allen. I think with Jared Allen, it's like he's kind of like a late bloomer, but like his development comes along very slow. But I don't think Jared Allen is a low IQ player. And I, I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's part of him being in this system where it's just like he's not being... Um, developed into like being more versatile because like right now Nicholas Claxton is more versatile than Jared Allen just by watching the G League clips you can see like like Claxton can go coast to coast right he can pass with mm-hmm. either hand like Allen can do none of these things or we don't know because we just don't see it so it's good that Claxton's on the team I think in this offseason if you want to see development from Jared Allen him and Claxton should be playing one on one like all day long or even bringing KD to play one on one play you know the one on one king game like whoever scores stays on the court and you bring them back on, you learn how to defend guys who can move, and you learn how to dribble against guys. Like, I think that's what I want to see out of Allen. I don't want to see Allen turned into a system center in a league that's shifting away from traditional centers where you see guys like Davis Bertans have tremendous value because they're centers that can shoot to three. I don't know if Allen is going to be ready to shoot to three in just one offseason. I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't think he can get there. I think that's maybe two to three years away because he, he hasn't even developed the mid-range yet. Would we agree on that? Yeah, weird. definitely. And I know, didn't like fifteen to forty-five as a rookie. Was was like was he real as a rookie? From I was, deep, yeah. I was yeah. I was just about to say. I I thought I remembered like com- coming into last year, so his sophomore season. I thought I remembered them being like, oh yeah, he's going to be taking a lot of corner three. Like I think yeah, there was, they, there was, you're right on that. Danny, yeah, right. There was one point there was one point in the spring of last year, or like right before the free agency, mm-hmm. where I yeah, read an article yeah. about Atkinson saying, "I'm going to turn Allen into a stretch four. and I was like, "What?" I was like, "What? Mm-hmm. What are you talking about?" Like you know, like. You're going to try to do that? Like, I, I don't know if they experimented with it in practice. I know Allen used to take three sometimes when they were open in, like, meaningless games last year. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't think you just throw a seven-footer out there and say, hey, shoot threes and we'll see what happens. I mean, I don't know. I'm not, like, again, I'm not inside the development team. I don't know what drills they do with him. I don't know what his program is like in the offseason. But what it looked like in this offseason is they just looked to add some strengths to him instead of actually adding skills. Like, I, there were a few games where I saw Allen, he'd set a screen, get the ball, and then dribble into the paint, but there's so few 
far in, in between these plays, like when he gets that baby hook. But it's so few. It's not enough. You know what I mean? It's just not enough. And I think it's. I think it's systematic. I don't want to blame Kenny, but I'll just say that I. I think his like stagnated growth or lack of like rapid development. I think it's more of the system than it is that Jared Allen doesn't have the ability. I think he could do it if he's developed properly. But I don't know. I, don't, I again, I don't know what his learning curve would be optimally. But I think he's a smart guy. Like mm-hmm. he's like one of the geeks on the team. You know, like, mm-hmm. geeks pay attention to these kind of things. You know, like I was a basketball geek. Like you know, go to sleep every night thinking about how how I can make my game better. How can I make my game better? But if you're in a system where it's like they don't allow your game to grow, that, then it's not going to happen. You know. I agree. That's uh, another interesting stat. I mean, the Brooklyn Nets, they're only running 1.1 post-ups per game. That is by far, that, you that, know, that's definitely league, systematic. I guess, league worse in that instance. Yeah, no, so I saw against Miami Heat in a game, and this has happened, this is just one instance, this has happened, you know, a variety of times throughout the season, where Spencer Dinwiddie got the switch off onto Bam Abadayo, which meant Jared Allen in the block had a switch on Derrick Jones Jr., yeah, that's an, adva- that's an advantage for Allen. He actually went to front him in the block and then immediately ran away. Yeah, so, I mean, there's instances like that where I do agree that a lot of his lack of growth is systematic. I mean, you get a switch on a six foot seven Derek Jones Jr. despite the, you know, off-the-charts oh, athleticism. Yeah, that's that, that something that Jared Allen could take advantage of, but they didn't even look at him. Then that's, that, that's a systematic problem. That means that you have, you have a coach or a system that's not looking to exploit the mismatch but they're playing to the analytic of get get the better perimeter shot, which you know, like it's tough because it's like you obviously in, in an ideal world you want your coach to be able to do both things, have a system like a modern offense, which I do believe Kenny Atkinson has, but you also want to be able to have the ability to see like oh I've got a seven footer on six foot seven Derek Jones who weighs like you know he's really small compared to like Jared Allen, dump the ball and get to two points and then on the next play we'll look for the three. Like I want that's what I want out of Kenny. You know what I mean? Like I'm not one of these guys that's like fire Kenny. I'm not in that camp, you know, like not yet. But um I, I, I want a guy that can do that. I want a coach that can say, you know, we want to be able to shoot the three, but we also want to be able to exploit an easy mismatch. It's gonna lead me to maybe a conventional three point play or easy two. You don't have to look for the three on every single play. That's not how the modern NBA works. I mean, the modern NBA is, yeah, you want to get up 30 good, clean looks from three minimum in the game, I think. Um, is that fair to say? Definitely fair. Okay, so you want that. But in the other, like, 70 or 80 possessions, if you can get easy twos on mismatches and you're not exploiting them, then you're actually hurting your team. Agree, guys, or no? No, I, I think so. Cause, I would agree. Yeah, they, the Nets, like, they, they – it's – not like I'm not. Yeah, I, I don't want to like. I don't want to like rip Kenny too much. I'm with you. Like where I'm, I'm not ripping I'm, him. Yeah. I'm not calling for his head. I'm just saying these yeah, are the exactly. changes I would like to see. Yeah, there's. I think you know being maybe like a little less rigid in the sense of you know like these are the only shots that we you know we really really want. And I think like we did see it a little bit last year, like with D'Angelo Russell taking more of those mid range shots. Kenny kind of like opened up to it. The idea, like okay. You know, obviously this is working, but I feel like maybe this year it's kind of he's kind of taking like a step back. Like I know they don't have D'Angelo Russell, so it's it's a little bit different. All right, but well, you know, I'll just jump in. There's a difference between D'Angelo Russell, Russell taking a pull up elbow jumper and Jared Allen having a five inch height mm-hmm. advantage and maybe sixty pounds on Derrick Jones Jr. So, but here's the thing: like, that's if a trust look thing. at the analytics, they say this: if you hit forty percent of your threes, the only way that another team can beat you is if they make sixty percent of their twos. But my 
philosophy is go for 40, 40% of your threes, but if you can get the chance to get a 60% you know, shot at the rim like a Jared Allen or a Derrick Jones Jr., you have to look to get that too. And if you do both, you're not getting blown out of any games. You're going to be in every game, and you're probably going to be winning most of your games by a substantial amount. I think the best teams do like a combination of both. Very hard to do. I'm not saying that's easy to do, but I'm saying a great coach is striving for that. Not sticking to, I'm just going to look for, make 60% of my threes or, you know, get dunks at the rim. Because if Jared Allen's not getting a dunk, what really is he doing? Right? At this point in his career, it's, it's, it's not much. So that's what we're saying. Once they clogged the interior, Jared Allen, had, I mean, again, he's just a buck. He's still growing. He worked with Javon and Bryant last season and getting some mass, getting stronger. He's probably going to do the exact same this year. He has to be better in finishing through traffic once that happens. That was a mistake to me. Like, for me, like, in the NBA, like, the, the, everyone talks about positionless basketball. Positionless, you see that all the time, right? But if it was truly positionless, wouldn't you want Jared Allen to, like, develop a handle like a point guard? Like, wouldn't you teach your big guard skills? Wouldn't you teach your guards big skills? Can't you get mismatches across the board? Like, Spencer Dinwiddie can't post up, like, a smaller guard. Like, you know, you can get mismatches easily if you know how to look for them. Would you guys agree? I... I think I think you can specialize Jared Allen in that role. I mean, this is not a guy that's ever going to probably average, you know, twenty and ten. What he Why does, I think he could. Is already what he does. he does really well. I think if you keep to continue to build off of those attributes, you can turn him into a monster like a, a Rudy Gobert, who's made these subtle improvements year in year out. I mean, Rudy Gobert is one. Yeah, Rudy Gobert can't shoot from the perimeter either. He can get, get you close to twenty and fifteen a game. I don't know. Like, I don't. I don't, I don't know if he's ever going to be that player. I don't know if the Brooklyn are ever going to need him to be that player in this title Allen, window. Allen, like Allen could actually like if you watch him in like pre you know pregame warmups, you could see him doing stuff like dribbling behind his back, stuff like that. Rudy Gobert, I don't really see that out of him. He's pretty. He's pretty much he's a stiff, you know. Yeah, Rudy. He he kind of. Well, that's what the he, has to be. What was that? No one got. Oh, sorry. I was going to say that's kind of what the Utah Jazz need him to be. I mean, he has such a giant impact on the floor on a night-to-night basis without having, you know, a huge bag offensively. It, it works. I mean, the Brooklyn Nets, with all the premier offensive talent they have, Jared Allen's not going to have to have a behind-the-back dribble package, or he's not going to have to beat guys off the dribble. He's not going to really have to even fade off a three and knock down an open perimeter jumper. Like, if he does all those things, it just acts as a bonus. But I don't think that's absolutely necessary with what he brings on the defensive side of the ball, you know, as a weak side, agreed, weak side rim protector, yeah, as even a help defender. So like, he's, he's, like he really acts like a free center? safety when yeah, he's in the paint. I mean, he has center, active you're gonna eyes. Get games like this. Like, you're going to get games like the Memphis game where he plays 29 minutes, he goes 3 of 5 from the field, and he gets you 6 points and 9 rebounds. If you keep him as a system center, that's going to be, you're going to have games like that. And then you're going to have the other games where he has like 14 and 10, which are like better games. But, you know, like you said, um, you said you don't see Jared Allen being a guy that can get you 20 and 10. And I'm like, I absolutely see that he could do that if his offseason development program would, would, you know, incorporate other offensive arsenals rather than him just being a rim running, you know, screen setting, rolling to the rim for a dunk kind of guy. You know, he's still very young, Nolan. You're the one that said it on the other pod we were on. You said he's a baby. You know, 21. And that's, he's in a weird yeah. situation, too, because next year, after next year, he's a restricted free agent. You know, you let a guy like that go and another team takes him and teaches him guard skills, he could be a tremendous player in the NBA. 
Right? If they take them out of this... Yeah, system, sorry, Dan, let me say something. I'm sorry, go on. So I think uh, Danny had a previous thought. You want to build off that? Uh, no, I, I nothing like nothing nothing too crazy. But I I agree with you know kind of what Evan's saying here, and I guess I agree with you know your point from the earlier pod. He is a baby, but like Evan said, I mean the clock is kind of ticking on you know not obviously not on him as a player, but on the Nets and you know what they want to do with him because he's going to be a restricted free agent if he does go to another team. I mean, there's. I, I did make. A, I did make a prediction that he was going to get traded this offseason. That was a prediction I made as, as, as Nestor I could be wrong, but I could. I could see it happening. I, I could see. I could see this system giving up on Allen and moving along with Claxton at the five or Jordan at the five next year with KD coming back. I can see it happening. I mean, it wouldn't. It wouldn't shock me because obviously, you know, this team. There's. There's going to be a chance that there's going to be. You know, I wouldn't call it like like crazy shuffling and trading or anything like that because you know you know you know obviously the two the top two guys Kyrie and KD are staying but I think there's definitely there's definitely the 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 chance for some for some shuffling with the complimentary guys well you know we'll go me and Nolan can talk about this so Allen and Dinwiddie hit free agency in the same year after next season Mm -hmm. you can't keep both of them if you get if you get a third star this offseason if you want to keep both Allen and Dinwiddie that means Joe Tsai is going to have to go deep into the luxury tax, and the roster flexibility will be really, really limited. And, you know, if there's an injury or something like that, then you're, the team is really handicapped. So, I, I, like I said, I mean, you know, another prediction I'll say is that I, I don't know if Allen and Dinwiddie will be both on the roster beyond after next season. So, you know, it makes the window kind of, like, weird. It's, like, half open, you know. Um, I don't know what the Nets will look like in, in two years. Next year, you can keep those guys, but after that, I don't know if they can keep both those guys if they go after a third star this summer. I mean, they might not be able to keep this guy. But they might not be able to keep him this summer if they chase that third star. I mean, if you want a Bradley Beal, you're going to have to throw a farm at the Washington Wizards. I wasn't even going there, but you you can take it there if you want. No, I think that's what it's, it's going to have to take. I mean, the standards are already set on what it takes to poach one of these guys from their teams that have them under contract. I mean, you, if you so want, say, deal, right? like, for me, the ideal third up. star is not Bradley Beal. But if they were to go down that route, it would probably definitely have to take either one or both of Spencer Dinwiddie, Jed Allen, draft capital. You probably have to throw in Karis LeVert. Like, it's going to take the farm. That's right, just so here's the how thing. it works. Think, right, so, so next year, there's not that many teams with like a lot of cap space, but there are going to be significant trades because agent crop. Um, do you think, like, of the other 29 NBA teams, that there's a team out there looking at Jared Allen at 21 years old, looking at all the things that he does, because he does do a lot of things great that we've mentioned, and they're saying to themselves, you know what, we'll, we'll take Allen, and you know, we'll, we'll give him an extension, maybe not a max deal, but we'll extend him to like, what, maybe 15 million a year, something like that, and we're going to try to turn him into you know, a more versatile player. Do you think of the 29 NBA teams out there, that any other team is looking at that? 100%. I think. I mean, I, yeah, I didn't. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Danny. No, I just. I, I, I hundred. I mean, uh, all it takes is one team to really like a guy to like you know give him a big deal and poach him away from the Nets. You know, if if it gets to free agency or trade, you know, whatever the case may be, all it takes is one team, and I think he's for sure shown enough in his first three years for a team to be like, you know what, 
I think we can get something more out of him. I think there's there's got to be co- a coaching so staff, young. a GM. Yeah, he's so young. He's shown you know flashes of brilliance at times. There's there's a team out there that is just licking their chops, waiting for the chance to uh, to get him in the building. That. Yeah, and they're doing it with Dinwiddie too. They're looking at Dinwiddie mm-hmm. like you know there are a lot of teams that are point guard starved and. Danny, you cover the Knicks. You know this well. Oh, yeah. If your team doesn't have one good point guard, it could spell disaster. You'll lose 40 games just because of that. I even think Jared Allen needs to even increase his versatility for the other 29 GMs to look at him. I mean, he's one of the best role men in pick and roll in That's the NBA. That's not the argument. He's one of the, the, I, I, the like, nobody, is, there's well, only a few players in the NBA chance. that defend more shots. That's not like, the argument. Even as what he is well, right now. take the chance to do that. That's the argument. Yeah, but even as what he is right now, I mean, if he was made available, yeah, there's a lot of teams in the NBA that are going to want to take a look at Jared Allen. Like, as I said, he's one of the best role men in the pick and roll. Nobody really, just only a few players in the NBA that defend for shots. I don't mean to cut you off, Nolan. My thing is, like, with Allen is, I don't don't see him as the guy that I want to lose because I'm not a DeAndre Jordan fan. I don't, and you know, Danny, you cover the Knicks. DeAndre Jordan was with, with the Knicks last season. I look at DeAndre Jordan as a depreciating asset. I don't buy into... This whole narrative that he's the locker room mediator and he's a good leader, this and that. I don't, I don't buy into any of that. I mean, he might be a friendly guy, he might be a fun guy to be around, but I don't buy into this whole leadership thing. I don't buy into it. I, I believe that the coach should be the leader. The coach is the one to develop players. The coach is the one that instills confidence in the players. I don't buy into that. So I don't want DeAndre Jordan starting at center for the for the next next year. And I don't believe Nicholas Claxton is a true center. I believe he can play there and be like one of these hybrid weird players, like, you know, like a point center or a point forward, because we've seen what he can do coast to coast. But he's still very young, too. You know, you don't want to just throw him into the fire where Allen has like more seasoned. I see Allen as a player that I wouldn't want to be traded. I predicted he would, but I don't want him traded. You know what I mean? Well, one of the things I'll just jump in a little aside on DeAndre Jordan, um, Obviously, like last year when he got traded over in the Dallas trade, like a huge story. I mean, basically every every outlet wrote this story that, oh, you know, DeAndre Jordan is helping Mitchell Robinson so much. He's such a great mentor this. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm giving him credit. He did help Mitch. I think he was, you know, good for him and everything like that. But then, you know, the Knicks lose DeAndre Jordan to the Nets. And then, well, I don't know if you call it lose, but whatever. Uh, so DeAndre Jordan goes to the Nets. The Knicks bring in Taj Gibson, who I would argue has been better for Mitchell Robinson and has, and has probably helped him more. So, like, to think that, you know, like, DeAndre Jordan is indispensable for, you know, like, wisdom and locker room. That's like, the thing. Well, I he, think, but yeah. He, but he, he's indispensable, indispensable by, by, by virtue of the whole friendship thing. I mean, yeah. we'll talk about that on the other pod. And I don't like that about the Nets. Like, I don't like that about the Nets. I think, like, guys like Garrett Temple... I don't want Garrett Temple on the roster next year for the Nets. I don't want DeAndre Jordan on the roster next year for the Nets. I don't, but I know Kyrie and KD do, so they'll probably be here. But I think those guys are going to hinder our chances. That's just my personal opinion. And I know a lot of people don't agree with it, but I think like you know, like you know, Sean Marks really needs to like get into like the conference room with KD and Kyrie and say, look, I know these guys are your friends, but you know, we want to win a championship, and these are current deals that I have on the table to move these guys, and I can improve the roster like immensely. If you will allow me to do it, is it okay? Please, can I do it? And it's like, I really feel like that needs to happen. Like, if that would happen and, like, significant moves were made to, like, move, like, Temples and Jordans, when, you know, not even, you don't even have to move Temple, just decline his player option. He's not worth $5 million. Mm-hmm. He's not. He's not worth $5 million a year. DeAndre Jordan is not worth three more years at $10 million per. He's not worth that. Torian Prince is not worth 
you know, the 15 million or whatever. He's worth 4.6 million. These are player assessments. I've already spoke to people on Twitter about. They, they gauge their market value versus their player value, like the difference, you know. And I feel like, you know, we're not looking at obviously it's not dollars to donuts, but these guys are to me are replaceable. And there's only so many roster spots you have on a team that wants to compete for a championship. And I look at these guys as liabilities. I don't look at them as, as, as helpful players, you know. And that's my other thing with the Nets is like the Memphis game was like they they were the Memphis game just ran us out of you know they ran us out of the building. They they, they, they were just bullying us. And it's like I uh, for me like my philosophy with basketball is always like. You always want to have skilled players, you want athletic players, you want fast players, you want strong players, you want smart players, all right? And I don't see Prince, Jordan, or Temple being in that ilk. And and then I'll just throw it back to you guys, whatever you want to say. I don't think DeAndre Jordan is going anywhere. I think I understand the perspective of, is he a depreciating asset? Yeah, he probably is. I mean, we got him for three more years. The term of that contract's not exactly flattering. I mean, the Houston Rockets had one of the probably only executives that are crazy enough to throw a flyer at DeAndre Jordan's Dale Morey, and they had interest oh. in trade deadline, and we straight up said no. So that I was, have that absolutely was one of, that was no. One of the depressing days of my year, Noel. <laughs> I was depressed. I was like, here it is on a silver platter. There's the opportunity, and gone. No. And so it's not happening. But yeah. go ahead, Danny. No, a man can dream, can he? Yeah, no. That, I was just, I was just laughing about that because obviously they're doing this whole small ball thing, and then out of nowhere, like that, that report comes DeAndre. out that like, wait, they wanted DeAndre Jordan. Like, what? Just, it, it didn't make sense. Didn't make I didn't sense. It at first. I didn't. I had to find other people on Twitter to find me the Woj clip, and when I saw it come out of Woj's mouth, I was like, this is not reality. I'm in a different timeline. This doesn't make sense. <laughs> You know? Yeah, no, that I guess, was... I guess that when you have friends in high places, I guess that can uh, do one thing. Uh, he does. Day, right? He definitely does. Yeah. So, all right, yeah. so all right, it's kind of stalling, but so if you look at it, uh, Nolan, has DeAndre Jordan made Jared Allen better this year? Yes or no? Man, it's so hard to say because honestly, we don't know what goes on in practice. We don't know what goes on look in the room. Jared look Allen himself has said yes. Look at the stats. I know, but Jared Allen himself, I mean, I'll I'll somewhat summarize what he said about DeAndre Jordan. He gave him assistance in guarding Nikola Vucevic when they were playing the Magic. So he's in his ear. He's trying to, you know, he is trying to be that mentor for Jared Allen. And, like, I I do appreciate DeAndre Jordan trying that. But does that justify giving him the contract? No, no. Psychologists for things like this, okay? They're like, every team has, like, a sports psychologist. <laughs> you don't need it to be one of your players. And you're giving four for 40. That's <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you. But at the same yeah. time, like, DeAndre Jordan has been there. He has done that. I mean, he does have a lot of playoff experience. It, he's obviously not what he was back in 2014, 2015. But if, if he, he can provide some insightful advice to Jared Allen. But, again, does that justify the contract? No, not really. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know Todd Gibson's contract off the top of my head, but like, if you're looking for you know that that mentor guy, I think you know for, for all the the all the crap the Knicks got in the offseason for the signings they made, I actually think Todd Gibson was was one of the better ones. Um, oh, Todd was good. Just, I watch some. You know, I, I'm a diehard Nets fan, but I watch Knicks games. He can. I, he I, can I, hang. I, I like Todd. Todd's a solid player. He's a solid. KG veteran, he knows what he's doing. He plays his I think he's a good veteran. He doesn't. You know what the thing is? He's just smart. Like he doesn't complain. How many technicals did DeAndre Jordan got this year compared to Todd Gibson? Let's 
talk about that. I don't know. How often do you see Taj Gibson trailing the play, not getting back on defense? You don't see that out of Taj Gibson because he's a consummate pro and a veteran. He knows better. How many NBA players have ever won a real argument with, a, with, a, with an NBA ref? Like, it's just a waste of your time. And like you see with DeAndre George, like every game he's talking to refs and complaining. Like, what are you complaining about, man? Run back on defense. Like, you're there to be a defensive anchor and you're bothering with refs on the offensive side of the ball. Like, I don't want to see that out of him. And I think that that's another thing I wanted to talk about. Have you noticed that, Nolan? Like, the Nets complain to the refs so much. Dinwiddie like, is the worst. Why do they do that? Dinwiddie. Dinwiddie complains more than anyone in the NBA. They I all think. do it now, though. Like, all of them except Joe Harris do it. And Allen. Joe Harris it's, and Allen you know are the only two that don't do it. I think, I think a part of that has to do with the frustrating season. And then, like, yeah. you, you want to be consummate professionals. You want to avoid doing all that. But, I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie, he's got a lot more respect from the refs but, this year than he's had in previous. But he's he, always. Yeah, but I on, agree man. with he you. He complains after every and, play. and Dinwiddie, he's, he's, he, he's done that for years, too. He, this isn't, like, a new thing this season. He's, he's complained to the refs after every play for, it's crazy, for it's like, the last like, three the years. It's crazy. the cost of not getting back on defense? It's like, I can understand if, like, if they make a bad call or they call a charge, then you can, like, you have, like, a second or two to argue with mm-hmm, the refs. Yeah. I, I mean, I like you guys know we, we I mentioned it a bunch already, but like I watch the Knicks and the Knicks. I mean, every NBA team complains, every team they play complains, everything like that. But I, I mean, the, these Nets and it's funny because there's a there's a consistent link. These Nets remind me of those old Clippers teams with Chris Paul, DeAndre Jordan, Blake Griffin. <laughs> those guys complain more than anybody in the world. And these these Nets are like these Nets are like in the. I honestly, I wish. I wish there was. I wish. I wish. Because I'm telling you that, like, that this Nets team is the only one I can think of that's even close. Is are those like those old Clippers teams? Which DeAndre Jordan, the 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 consistent link. (laughs) Man, when I play, I never talk to refs ever. Like, I would just ignore them. I would pretend they weren't there. Like, I know they're gonna make mistakes. That's the only way you can. Sometimes it's not, but like. Really, like, start barking at refs. They don't like that. Like, it, it, it becomes like you know, like a part of the team. Like, they don't like it. You just, it, it actually could work against you. You're just not going to get calls later. You know? Yeah, I, I just uh, you, that's the only way you can do it. I was lucky in high school. My, my dad knew a bunch of the refs, so I don't know. I, I don't know if there was any. Yeah, I don't know if there was any 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 bias on uh, on my my account. But I do remember one game, like at the very very end. Um, and the ref actually knew the kid who I, I hacked the shit out of him. Like I was, I was. It was like end of the game. We needed either a steal or like start racking up some fouls. And I just, I just destroyed this kid. Got the steal, go down, got the layup. Like yeah. And then I see the ref like just like play on, play on. And I was like, oop. I was like, glad my dad knows that guy. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but yeah, I, I guess that 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 kind of thing doesn't happen in the NBA. That happens in low level yeah. high school basketball games. <laughs> Right, I have it's one final question. Me. I mean, I, I don't know. It, it, I, it's, I've never seen anything like it. It's just crazy. I would never argue with a ref with, during a live ball. Like, I think that that's also, like, a coach has to do that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, a coach yeah. has to tell your players, like, you know, the ball's live. Forget about this. Like, wait till, like, there's a breakage or we go to commercial break. Then you can talk to them. You know, it's off screen. You know, do it. But, you know, it's just like after every play, these guys are just whining and complaining. And it just frustrates me, you know? It really does. All right, so 
what, one what final question, Evan. I hate that I don't want to break you off from your train of thought about the refs and officiating. No, but I got one final question for you. Yeah. All right. So this says it's actually kind of uh, top loaded, I, I guess. Third star. Is there anyone in mind you have for this offseason if they are if they are to go that route? Third star. Uh, it's tough, man. Who immediately comes like to mind? I, like I, you know, like the common names have been thrown out there already: the Beal, Gordon, but Buddy Heald. You know, I, I don't know. Like, I mean, I, I really, I really don't. I don't know. I don't think they need a third star. I know a lot of people will disagree. A lot of people will say like. Teams with three stars typically go on to win a championship. All right, I get that argument, but it really depends on who your three stars are. You know, like all right, so what was who? Who was like the first like super team? Like if we're going back, like what, like the '08 Celtics, right? When they had like mm-hmm. Pierce, Garnett, well, like Ray Rockets. Allen, and then it morphed into LeBron's decision to go to Cleveland, where he brought in Wade. Well, Wade was already there. Like LeBron and Bosh, and then it was KD doing it with you know, Clay and Curry and Golden State. So when I look out there and I'm looking at the players around the league, I'm, I'm looking at, like, who are the third stars, and the names out there are not the ones that I think are, like, the third stars that are going to, like, net you a championship, for sure. Uh, it's certainly not Bradley Beal in my mind. I don't view him as, like, a top 10 player in the NBA or even top 15 or top 20, maybe scoring-wise. But um, I'm looking at, like, the Nets, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe they don't need to go that route. I would like for them to, like maintain their roster depth. I think they really need to, like, shore up 3Ds. they they got to have 3D players. They've got to have a deep bench. You know, I would love to get a Baca, but I don't know. That's a hairy situation with Toronto, and he's probably going to look for, like, a big contract. You know, I don't know if we'll be able to get a guy like that, but I don't know. I don't know. I'll throw it back to you when I'm done, but I don't don't know. Like, if if you're going for the third star, here's the other part of it, is that we still don't know what's going on with Kyrie's shoulder, and that annoys the hell out of me, you know? They tell you it's it's shoulder impingement. Then a month later, they tell you it's bursitis, and subscapularathic, and then it's like, oh, he's having surgery because of nerve impingement. And then a week later, they're like, the nerve impingement surgery was successful. So it's like, we don't know what's going on with Kyrie Irving, who is the second or first star on this Nets team. So if he's not going to be healthy and playing, you know, like I said, I was tweeting before, if he's not playing 60 games for, and ready for 16 more in a playoff run, they're about like your third star. You, you just lost your second star. So for me, it's like I don't know if getting that third star is necessarily, like, historically, it's been a recipe for success for other teams. It has to be a star of, like, tremendous magnitude, you know what I mean? Like, it's got to be, like, a Bosch type or, like, you know, a KD type. You have to add it into, like, a system that already has two healthy stars, which the Nets don't have. So I don't know if the third star is the right right route to go because it's going to really mess with the cap situation. The Nets might be really smarter off going with, like, you you know, a gang approach. You know, like the way Toronto did last year, mm-hmm. you know, like you have, you get like the one star, you got KD, he'll be like the kind of like the Kawhi guy, and you just load up the rest of the roster of, you know, everybody else is going to come in and contribute and be whatever the coach wants them to be, and you're going to optimize everybody from top to bottom. That might be the better approach, because if you go and start trading away Dinwiddie and Lavert and Allen, whoever it is, you're really messing with the whole DNA of the team. And, you know, there's people out there, their counter-arguments are like, go ahead, don't worry the DNA, we'll just create another hybrid. And it's like, I'm not one of these Frankenstein people when it comes to building a roster. I think, like, it can work if you're going to net three of, like, the top 15 players in the NBA. They can, And they're all healthy. 
But I don't think the Nets are in that position. That's just not, it's just my personal take. And I'll throw it back to you, Nolan. I guess I should have reworded that question with how should they approach this offseason? Um, how, how well, all right. So, if, all right. So, we talked about how good Chios is, but in reality, you know, like he's he's not going to be like a great player. He'll be serviceable or good at best. So, you know, if you're looking at the point guard situation, that makes Dinwiddie indispensable. If you don't think Kyrie, that's the thing. It, a lot of it depends on Kyrie's health and his durability. And we don't know. Like, we're still in the dark about it. I mean, I mean there are people out there that said he has snapping shoulder syndrome and that he's got a degenerative condition in his shoulder. If that's true, if that's true, right, and the Nets know it, and we don't, and they're, like, keeping it hush-hush, they absolutely have to go out and get a really, really good second point guard. Absolutely. That becomes, all right, that's a checkbox. Number one, that's a checkbox. Absolutely. I think they need to move Torian Prince. Absolutely. They need to decline Temple's player option. He's got to be gone. Theo Pinson needs to be waived. They need to bring Claxton up as soon as possible. And he's got to be like, you know, you've got to be grooming him to be your stretch four or a point four, a guy that can do it all. They need to bring him up as soon as possible and, and get him going. And then, like, go after, like, you know, a guy like Abaka maybe if you can. But it just, it, it, it's hard, man. It's just like there's not that many, there's really not that many free agents in this crop. So you have to look at doing it through trades. And, you know, like, earlier this year, I used to go through all the salaries or every roster. And I'm, like, looking at them. Like, how are we going to, you know, no one. We have this conversation. I'm like, how are we going to make this work? Who can we get? What can we do? What teams would be interested? It's very, very difficult, you know. And. I will say this, you know, a lot of people are on board with moving Levert, and I'm against it. And I'll tell you, and you know, I'll tell you why. Mm. Like, because like, I think Levert can be a third star type player, not like necessarily, you know, amazing, but I think he can be a good catch and shoot three point player with playing with KD and Kyrie. Do you agree with that or no? I mean, the last month, the last actually about five weeks would indicate that he can. He's shooting above a 40% clip, and he has other avenues to his offense. So if he gets into yeah. a nice rhythm with them, yeah, I, I do agree with that. And I think yeah, Levert so I to be really the third star. Levert. Like, a lot of people, like, want to move Levert, but I don't. But it's such, it's such a Rubik's Cube, and I've talked about that before. I call it a Rubik's Cube. It's so hard. It's a puzzle. It's a really difficult puzzle to kind of, like, put together. Because, like... You know, you can't move Dinwiddie if Kyrie's going to have health issues. You agree? Like, and if you do, you have to. You're just trading back laterally uh, to get another point guard because, right, right, right. If Kyrie's not going to be healthy, that's more of a gray area. Danny, that's more of a gray area. I just I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go back to the idea of the what is it the like the three stars I. But actually, I'm, I'm, my thoughts, I'm all over the place here. I agree with you. I, I like Levert, and it's, I'm not just like recency bias with the 51 points. I like him as the idea of like that third, I don't know if you want to call it star. But yeah, my, yeah my, my, my point is, you know, necessarily is that right now the NBA, like there are no real like big threes in the, in the sense of like LeBron, Wade, Bosch. They're like KD, uh, Curry and Clay, like there are no big threes out there. I think for the most part, like the league is set up in terms of like duos, and you know, uh, for better or worse, obviously the Nets had to make the make this you know these signings. Their duo is Durant and Kyrie. Kyrie's shoulder, obviously, it's a concern, but this is your duo. This is the duo you got to run with. I like. I don't. I don't see the. I don't see the like. I don't see them getting much better. By you know going out and really chasing like a create like a big third star like a Beal or somebody like that, I think I'm I'm in I'm in lockstep with you, Evan. I think the better move is to kind of get like uh kind of like a Toronto Raptorsy 
style and and keep it yeah. in that way. We're going like what, even what the Clippers are doing now. Look at the Clippers roster; it's stacked. They got fifteen guys who can ball out, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I mean, that, like that's the thing. Like, if, like, like if you're not getting three top fifteen healthy prime players, you're not building a dynasty. Like, I don't even want a dynasty. I want one ring. That's it. Give me one, and I'll die a happy man. You yeah, know what I mean? like, what? Like, I'm not. A, I don't care. Like, KD went on TV yesterday. He said, "Don't expect this team to be like the Warriors." And I'm like, "Duh, I don't. I want one ring, man. Like, that's it. Big like, one. You know, like I don't want a dynasty. The team's not set up for a dynasty." got a two-year window realistically that you can't have a dynasty with a two-year window dynasties are teams that win no. championships just give me one just give me one so I, I yeah i would say like you know no that's a tough question you know like i'm not like upset that you asked it because i think about it all the time but it's tough like you want to go through every you have to go through every single team every silent cap then you have to negotiate a deal to get that third star and like what danny was saying he doesn't really believe that there's any because there's something duo set up to get the third star, right. you, have to, like, the, you have to like fleece a team out of one of their stars, out of one of their duos, and no team is going to do that when there's when there's like assumed parity in the league. You know, they all feel like they have a chance to win it. Like you're not going to get Russell uh, Westbrook or James Harden on the net. You know what I mean? Like they're just they're going to stay together, right? If the Pelicans miss the playoffs, David Griffin and Trajan might be inclined to move Drew Holiday, and that's the guy. Uh, I'm I like at. this conspiracy angle. The <laughs> GM. Uh, all right, go on, Nolan. All yours. Go for it. I want to hear it. I tell you, you know what? They could go over the youth movement. They have a lot of nice pieces. Another draft pick this year. I mean, they got tons of draft capital in the Anthony Davis trade. If they miss the playoffs this year, they might try to move Drew Holiday. You know, it might be a conspiracy theory. It's just sheer speculation at this point. But I think it's a legitimate possibility. Yeah, Drew, Drew, Drew Holiday, is, do you consider him like a top 20 player in the NBA? Not exactly top 20, but is there too many defensive two-way players in the no, league, I'm better not, than no, Drew Holiday at his position. I'm not trying to be. I'm not attacking you, no. I'm not attacking you. The argument was like going after the third star to build like you know a dynastic type team that like guarantees right. your championship. Is Drew Holiday in that build? Yeah, I don't see why not. You think so? Why wouldn't he be? I feel completely confident as saying Drew Holiday is a star in this league. Okay. And we've seen what he can do in the playoffs against a premier offensive talent. I like Drew Holiday, but what do you have to give up to get him? Are you going to gut? You're going to gut to get him? It depends. I mean, going into next season, I think he has a player option. So they have, they they, they do. They have the team to make if they don't make the playoffs. And maybe Jared Allen, and then we could start Claxton Center. We're going to get Drew Holiday. That's going to happen. What are we going to do with Drew Holiday? I don't know. I can't. I can't off the top of my head give out the. Correct proper hard, logistics right? to the trade, it's but hard. like it's it's, hard. it's 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 an avenue. It's an outlet they they can definitely take. I'm and all for it. I'm all for it because I'm I'm at the point right now where I, I I firmly believe the Nets need Kyrie Irving insurance. Like we need we need State Farm insurance type. Like Chris Chris Paul. No, I just meant we need insurance. We need it could be Chris Paul. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be upset if Chris Paul was on the net. I really wouldn't. They, not at all. There was a report. The Knicks are. Uh, the Knicks are thinking about gearing up I for him. So, so crazier things you have happened. I guess Chris Paul is going to spend the twilight of his career on the Knicks. Uh, his old. His old agent is the uh, the team president now. So he's. You never I'm know. I'm not. Years, I'm not. Ten years, no one could kick him out of the garden, and he yeah. could like become. Listen, I'm not. I, I wouldn't put any money on it that we'll see Chris Paul in a in a in a Knicks uniform. But but yeah, that's 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 right, a that's a whole different story for a different pod. No, do you think the Nets should get Kyrie Irving insurance? Well, 
history says he's going to probably play somewhere between 60 and 65 games next season. And we don't know how Kenny looks at him with the load management, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, you definitely have to. All right, let's go. Let's go. Let's do something fun. Danny, I'll go to you first. Be non biased, leave your bias at the door. How many games is Kyrie playing next year, not in the regular season? I would say. My prediction, because I'm an eternal optimist, I would just say 65, and that's me. Wow, that's me. That's that's me admitting that I'm I'm like a I'm I'm just like a super optimistic person. So leave your emotions out of it. You know, you just just give a prediction. But see, okay, so so this is just what I'm what I'm thinking is that the fact that they shut him down, they got all this stuff. Like I, I know we're we're saying that we're concerned about it. But the fact that we're shutting him down right now, he's not going to play in the Olympics, any of that stuff. Like, I think... He might play in the Olympics. Well, <laughs> maybe. We'll see. I, I doubt it. I doubt it. But who knows? But, uh, but yeah, I, I think I think a full summer off and then just, you know, having K, KD coming back, there'll be, like, less pressure on him to go out there every other night. I think they'll do a better job of, like... Or not Not that they did a bad job this year because there was just so much shit going on. But um, I think they'll, they'll do a decent job of kind of, like... Load managing him throughout the uh, the season, but so again, he'll play sixty five games next year with load management. So you're saying reduced numbers per game, minutes per game, but he'll play sixty five and be healthy for a playoff run next year. Yeah, I think so. I'll 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 I'll, I'll make my All bed. Right, I'll lock you in. Lock me in. Nolan predictions. I'll call sign. Regular season games played and playoff run. What's his minutes like? Uh he plays sixty two, and as far as the playoff run goes, he'll. I think he'll be fine. I mean, we, we really don't know. Uh, I think the right. shoulder injury... But I think is there enough there where you go after another point guard in the offseason? Just um, in case. Just in case, like, you know what I mean? Let's flip it. Let's flip it. If he goes down, like, let's say the yeah. shoulder thing is really degenerative, and he plays 40 games, and he becomes, like, the point 2.0, then the Nets title hopes are gone, right? I mean, at that point, yeah, but... I don't know if it's going so to get. Wouldn't that, that would you labor the point of getting another point guard like a Drew Holiday, right? Well, he right? mostly two, but he can't play the one. And KD could probably get get you to a championship, right? Yeah, no, I think so. I mean, even Durant himself can play a little point forward and run the offense and stints. I mean, if you throw in like it, hell, okay, uh, like, so absolutely. Like, like, I'm, not like, I'm not trying to be optimistic or negative. It's just like if you look at like Kyrie's career, like you look at the games played, like mm-hmm. the way it trends, it doesn't trend. Favorably, so it's like you know we're all analytics people, right? He played before this season started. He was averaging sixty-three and a half games played per year. He only played yeah. twenty. That that figure's got to drop now to like what, like sixty games per year, fifty-nine. If this shoulder thing is serious, it's like that's going to drop lower. <laughs> and if we don't get another point guard, you're looking at like Dinwiddie, and we still didn't. We still haven't signed Kioza, Kioza, right? So it's like we still have one point guard. Technically, we have one point guard on the roster, and Dinwiddie. Right, so wouldn't that make sense to get a point guard? Well, if by uh, you gotta be a little more uh, transparent for me, Evan. Do you think they should look at like a backup worthy point guard in the off season, or do you think they should, if they say, well, hey, do, we're going for the home run ball? I know where you're going with this. You could do one of two ways. You could go after an elite point guard like a Drew Holiday, like a defensive guy, and you could like trade some players to get him. Or you right. go after like a lower a lower tier point guard. You know, I, I can't think of a name. Danny, help me out. You know. I don't know, like a like a, a lower tier point guard, but like, uh, he's a top seventy five player in the league somehow. <laughs> would Fred Van Vliet fit that? Fit that? Yeah, after the news, right? It would be like a, 
a lot to get him. I think yeah, because he's, he's right? yeah he's gonna get a de- he's probably gonna get a decent yeah, contract. He's he's, he's just he's one name that I know he's gonna, he's a free agent in the summer, so he just popped him. Yeah, I mean, I think the Nets would be lucky okay. to get a guy like that if they could. Alright, we'll I mean, wrap he, it he up. Might be, he, he might be setting the sights too high. I'm talking about like if we can't get like a too high. Mm, yeah, that, that's probably too high, but. So then, like, we'll yeah, wrap it up. Lower, and if you look lower, then you Final have to some more help. Final oh, thoughts. Right? I mean, look, this, is, this stuff runs through my mind all day long with this. With this I know. <laughs> we got you going. Um, final thought, Seven. What's your outlook for the final, what would it be, 22 games of the season? What are you looking for most? Uh, okay, well, doesn't look like he's tanking at all like he looks like you know he ran that really hard practice he's up in these like you know like the last game took him a long time to come out of the locker room he's dreaming these guys like I think he really wants to like you know be a seven seed and like try to like do okay in the playoffs so my outlook is that <clears throat> hopefully the team can recoup from like this bad stretch and they can get their heads together and you know play well and to me you know I, I don't really it doesn't matter anymore like I don't think there's I don't think like tanking is an option I don't think they can get the pick back so, like, a lot of people will be like, oh, we got to get that seven seed so we don't get mopped up by the Bucks." But it doesn't matter to me. If you play the Bucks, fine. You know what? It's fine. You know why? Because it'll at least give you experience against the absolute best team in the East. So even if you get swept, at least next year when Kyrie and KD come back, you got that tasting amount of, like, what it's going to take to right. beat that top team. So I don't care if they're seven or eight at this point. You know, the, the whole tanking thing was, like, an argument to be had, like, three weeks ago. They didn't go that route. They won a few games, and mm-hmm. now, like, the Wizards are not going to catch up. Like, no other team's catching up. So I don't care if they're seven or eight. They'll probably make the playoffs. I'll root for them every game, but like I said, it doesn't matter to me. Well, how do you feel about that? At least for me, my my experience, I think teams are better off, like you said, getting a little bit of that experience rather than – I mean – Obviously, if they fall out of the playoffs and they get they jump up to the number one pick, that would be a better scenario. But that's not happening. It seems impossible, right? Yeah, that's it's just what's the math on it? Yeah, it's just that that's not happening. That's not something you can kind of like. At least you know that's something we speculate, and that's not something that they can be like playing towards in the building. Yeah, yeah. The Wizards like can win half their games or something. Yeah. So so at this point, I think you know the the best case scenario is like you make it in as you know the seventh seed and you know you take a team to like six games you get some of the some of the guys a little more playoff experience so that next year yeah and the coach that's a good point and the coach so that when next year comes around they're battle tested they're ready to go um and i mean if they get the eight seed i can't see them taking a game against milwaukee but uh but yeah essentially just get get some battle tested playoff experience because even though you know they're not winning a championship this year that stuff helps in the long run yeah, I mean, like, there's some people that are like, oh, let's get the seven seed so we can play the, the Celtics in the playoffs. And I'm like, really? You want that? You know? Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, better like, than the historic box. I get it. I do. I mean, I know there are rivals technically, but we don't really want that, do we? I mean, I'd rather just play the box, get it over with, go into the summer, retool. Like, you know, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> I, I, I think they're that eight seed by default. What's going to so, hurt more? Losing I mean, to the Bucks or the Celtics? I think what hurt more losing to the Celtics. That's fair. Yeah, that's true. Um, a lot of Kyrie chance. Yeah, you don't want to deal with that nonsense. I mean, you, know, you think that they're, they're going to be motivated? Like, what, Lavert's dropping 50 for, like, six straight games or something? We're, come on. Like, you know, if the Celtics are healthy, all right, it's, all right, let me layer it. If the Celtics are healthy, like, we're not beating them in the playoffs. Like, we're not. We're just not. The only way to no. if we get the seventh seed, if you want to root for, like, maybe getting to the second round, if it is, the, if it's, I don't know. Uh, Danny, who's, who's, 
who's in second right now? Is, is it the Celtics or is it Miami? I don't know. Toronto, I think. Toronto okay, and yeah. Toronto and Boston, I think, are, are kind of like jockeying right now. They're, they're jockeying. So if we get the seventh seed, we'll play either Toronto or Boston, most likely. Yeah, that's that's they're not they're not winning that series. Uh, all right, so no one. Are we going to beat Toronto or Boston in the playoffs? Well, of course not. But all is right. it more so, favorable you know, than the you know <laughs> historic Milwaukee yeah. Bucks that are on absolute rampage yeah, this season? Thing, I think Bucks so. Are still the team to beat in the East, even if you get butt smacked by them. Then you know next year you're like yeah. you have a little bit like a little bit of experience of what it's like to go back and forth in Milwaukee in a series of travel days. You get to know what you know Coach Bud's doing. And, you know you get to learn a few things. It's a good learning experience. I'd rather just like I'd rather it's like it's like <laughs> how do you want to go down? Like do you want to go down like you know death by a thousand uh, cuts or do you want to just one swift? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> and learn something from it. It's like that's the way I see it with this playoff run. You know? I get that perspective. I get that perspective. I mean, do you really want to go, like, play the Celtics and, like, win one game and, like, give, give you false hope and then, like, you know, it just, I don't know. I just, like, I would rather just play the Bucks, learn a little bit, you know? Learn a little bit. They're, they're I, what I, every team is aspiring to be, right? I guess, yeah, in this title window, the Milwaukee Bucks aren't going anywhere, so it'd be nice to see what the complimentary pieces can do against them in the playoff yeah, series and get that experience. Like, yeah, I mean, exactly, exactly, exactly. It's going to be a that's sweep, but... Once it's time to really boogie in uh, April of 2021, they'll be, you know, a little better prepared, I should say. Yeah, it's, it's all right. It's all right. It, that's, but that's, but see, that's the thing. Like, that's like when you went against sports, right? Like in competition, like I think the Greek word is to like, from competition means to bring the best out of. And the way you bring the best out of anybody is to play the best. I mean, if you go look at like old Michael Jordan like clips or like the interviews, he always just said, I always wanted to play the best and beat the best. You know, it's like I like I'm, I'm like a big advocate of that like that mentality. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's like even, well, if, you, even if you're going to play the Bucks and lose, it's like you're doing it against the best, and you learn something from it. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think I think we're we're kind of all in, in agreement for the most part with like a little little differences on that. Um, but I definitely I definitely see what you're saying about the Bucks, even though I'm I'm kind of in the the other camp. But um, but yeah, I think I think we kind of we kind of covered a lot of ground in this episode. I think that probably wraps it up. We got through Jared Allen, Chris Chioza, Torian Prince. Now in the playoffs, we yeah we uh, this was this was a nice exhaustive uh, a good listen for Nets fans who are kind of at a loss for kind of what's going on at the end of the season. But thanks again, Evan, for coming on. We really appreciate the uh, the, the insight. Yep, and uh, and Nolan again. Thanks for uh, for being a good co-host. We needed uh, we needed people to pick up the slack for uh, for Matt this week because Matt was uh, Matt was out doing whatever he's doing. He's cleaning his jacket, right? Yeah, yeah, cleaning. Yeah, Matt's uh, Matt was busy, so we had to we had to call in reinforcements. So thanks again, Evan, and thank you, uh, Clean Sweep listeners, for uh, for tuning in once again.